When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they gave various answers. Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, John the Baptist or one of the prophets. On one occasion, the the Jews just asked Jesus in John 8 and verse 25, who are you? Herod had heard that Jesus had done many marvelous miracles. He thought that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And when Pilate sent Jesus to Herod right before he ordered him to be crucified in Luke 23 and verse 8, he wanted to question him to figure out exactly who he was. And even Pilate, right before he ordered the scourging and the crucifixion, he asked Jesus, are you a king? John 18 and verse 37. People have been interested in Jesus for a long time. His identity, who he is, who he claimed to be. And what he did throughout his earthly ministry, but not just in the past, even in the present. You can canvas all of the major magazines that are published in our country. The U.S. Today, U.S. News Weekly, Time Magazine, National Geographic, and all of them within recent memory have had an issue dedicated to Jesus and his identity, but not just them. In the Who Was book series for little children, there's even one in that series. Who was Jesus Christ? People are interested in who Jesus is. Professors and comedians, politicians, rabbis and preachers all have something to say about who Jesus is. And all of their testimony doesn't agree. But on this, we can agree. Jesus is the most important and unique person in the history of the world. There have been more books written about Jesus than about anybody else who's ever existed. People just can't get him out of their minds, even if their testimony about him is inaccurate. And so when we look at the greatest questions that the human mind can ask, this series we've been looking at on Sunday morning, answering life's biggest questions. One of the questions that you and I must investigate is who is Jesus Christ? And if God exists and if the Bible is the word of God, then we must allow the divinely inspired word of God to bear testimony on who Jesus is and allow it to tell us who he is and direct our thoughts toward that end. And as we do that, we'll not only discover that he's marvelous and divine and glorious, but we will also see what our response is supposed to be to him in light of who the Bible says that he is. Jesus is special. Jesus is unique. But what we believe about Jesus and how we respond to that makes all the difference. There are a lot of places that we could go to answer this question in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. Who is Jesus? But I believe one of the places that does the best job of describing Jesus to us is John chapter one. If you have your Bible, go ahead and be turning to John chapter one, because it's in this section of scripture. John, who says that he's writing to teach us about Jesus being the Messiah, the son of God at the end of his gospel in John 20, 30 and 31. It's in this opening chapter that John not only introduces us to Jesus but that he says some things about his identity that will play out throughout his gospel. And if we listen closely enough, that will even direct us in the present time to order our lives in the proper way concerning who he is. This morning, I want to answer the question, who is Jesus? Five things that John tells us in this opening chapter. John said it to his first readers. And it's been preserved for you and for me. It's important that we answer this question rightly, because in the end, the only thing that will matter at the end of our lives is what we have done with the man called Jesus. And have we responded to him appropriately, though many books have been written about him and many people have social commentary on Jesus. Who does God say that he is? And then each of us must make sure that we say the same. Let's begin. Number one, who is Jesus? Number one, the Bible says Jesus is the eternal God. Would you notice how John begins his gospel? In fact, John begins his gospel much like Moses begins the first book of the Bible. In fact, if you were to look at John 1 and Genesis chapter 1, they both begin with the same three words in the beginning. 
Now, Moses says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John is directing us even deeper, not only into the beginning and what was created, but who was responsible for that creation. And both Moses and John conclude the very same thing, that it was God. For John, the individual that he calls the word or the logos is this ultimate individual that he'll later show us is Jesus Christ. Notice his words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was nothing made that was made in him was life. And that life was the light of man. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it or the darkness has not comprehended it. Who is Jesus? According to John in these first five verses, he was in the beginning with God. That's verse one. He is God. Verse one. Verse 3 and verse 4, he's responsible for everything that's been created and life finds its ultimate existence in him. And he is the light that the darkness cannot overwhelm or overcome, according to verse 5. Who is Jesus? According to John, he's the eternal God. He is as much God as the Father and as much God as the Spirit. Many people think Jesus' story begins back in Bethlehem in a manger. But according to John, Jesus' story does not begin once upon a time, according to Jesus's story begins before time. Psalm 90 and verse two says about God. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And when Micah spoke about this one to come and Micah five and verse two, Micah not only says Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, but Micah says his going forth is from everlasting. What does that mean? It means that he is divine. To have the proper view about Jesus is to first see him as divine. You know, I've talked to Muslims and I've talked to secularists and they say, listen, Hiram, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus just like you. Listen, Jesus is a prophet. He's a special spokesman from God. Some say, oh, Jesus is a great moral teacher and a philosopher on the same level as sort of like an Aristotle or a Gandhi. He's a prophet like Isaiah or Abraham. He's special. I believe in Jesus, too. And I've got other friends and religious persuasions that say, you know what? Jesus was created special. He was like one of the angels, but actually to earth and performed and did what God wanted him to do when he ascended back up to heaven he was sort of promoted you know he was given a special and a higher calling as a result of that John says wait a minute any view of Jesus that does not view him as the eternal God is a mistaken view of him look at John chapter 1 and notice what he says in verse 18 no one has seen God at any time the eternal one the only begotten of the father who's at the father's side he has declared him John says Jesus is God And don't forget it. The New Testament repeats over and over this idea that Jesus was not just a prophet. He was not just a moral teacher, but he was God. When Matthew talked about Jesus being born of a virgin, he wanted Mary to know that she was not creating Jesus or bringing him into existence, though she would be the vehicle used by God to bring him into his earthly existence. He was called in Matthew 1, 21 through 23, God with us. In fact, Jesus is called God by God, the father in Hebrews one, eight and nine. God calls him God, saying that he is divine. He's the eternal God who is blessed over all forever. Romans nine and verse five. He's the one that created everything. And in him, all things hold together or they consist. Colossians one, 15 through 17. He's the alpha and the omega. Revelation one, eight. But it's not just the verses and the claims that he's God. There's also the proof. Throughout his life, Jesus did things that only God could do. And the people that saw Jesus do those things, they knew it. He would forgive sin 
In Mark chapter 2, you remember they let down the paralytic into that house where it was so packed because they came to hear Jesus preach the word. And Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And they say, who is this that can forgive sins? The only person that sins is who? It's God. That's because he was. He raised individuals who were paralyzed. Matthew chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. He told the sea to hug and it he walked on water like pavement, Matthew 14, 25, and even raised the dead. Mark 5 and verse 41. Jesus, he's God. He's the eternal God. He's not God Jr. or God the second. He was not promoted to God after a flawless earthly performance. He's always been God and he always will be. Now, there are many facets to Jesus's identity that we need to explore and appreciate. But we need to begin here first. Somebody says, I don't understand this. How can Jesus be both God and man? The Bible says that he is, but he was God first. And that's important. You may have a nice and cool and fun and relatable boss. But, you know, if you forget they're your boss, that's where you have problems. You may have a compassionate and kind and loving parent, and that's great. But if you forget that they're your parent first, you have problems. And Jesus is many things. But when we forget that he is God first, we fail to appreciate the significance of his sacrifice, his words and his messages that can't be compromised. Listen, in the first century, many people rejected Jesus and they thought that they were simply rejecting a rabbi or a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. But they were actually pushing aside and ignoring their God. And people do the same thing today. Opens his gospel. Jesus opens the Bible. Who is Jesus? He's God. There was a story in May of 2019 of a man who bought a million dollar home in Los Angeles. The only problem was he couldn't get into the home. There was a woman who was still living in the home and she would not leave. Not only would she not leave the home, but she leased out rooms in the home to other people. And she just told him, I'm not going anywhere. She wouldn't leave. It was his house. But she lived in it like she owned the place. Listen, this is Jesus's world. And do you know we do the same thing to him? We won't let him into our hearts. We shut him out. When God has to show ID to get into the world that he's created, we've missed it. In him we live and move and have our very being. Acts 17 and verse 28. It's because of him that we are who we are and we have what we have. And we need to view him as God, to view him properly, to not sell him short. I've talked to people and they've said similar things. You know, I believe in God, but not in Jesus. That's a contradiction. He's both. To have a high view of God and a low view of Jesus is to have a low view of both because he is God. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Revelation 22, 13. And when we consider this question, we start where John starts. Jesus is the eternal God. But not only that, John said in the second place that Jesus is the perfect human being. John 1 and verse 14 He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And drop down to verse 17. He says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, John says Jesus is divine. That's how he starts. But then he shows us this selfless sacrifice that Jesus makes. And he came to earth and he became a human being. Sometimes people push back against this. If you're a Christian, listen, you can believe that Jesus is God all you want. But don't tell me that a man named Jesus ever really lived. You got no proof of that. It's merely a figment of your imagination. You just sort of made up this idea that a man named Jesus became a human and really existed. But here's the problem. 
There are historians and people that lived in and around the time of Jesus who were not Christians, who had no desire to promote Christianity whatsoever. But they couldn't deny the reality that a man named Jesus lived and that he did many of the things that the Bible said that he did. John tells us Jesus is a human, but John isn't the only one. There is uninspired testimony from around the first century time where other individuals say there really was a man named Jesus who lived. Now, in 200 years, if somebody comes and finds different artifacts and things from history in our country, they may read things about George Bush or Barack Obama or about Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They may read good things. They might read bad things, but they would be able to find enough information to conclude that these individuals really lived. And to deny that would be to deny reality. It would be silly, It would be fallacious. And so it is with Jesus. These aren't all of the witnesses. This isn't all of the testimony, but from left to right, these are some of the first century individuals that speak to the reality of Jesus existing. The first man on your left is a man by the name of Josephus. He's known for two famous works that he wrote. Josephus's history of the Jewish wars and the antiquity of the Jews. He wrote that Jesus lived and was crucified during the reign of Pontius Pilate. Josephus was not a Christian. He's just writing history and saying this is exactly what happened. The Jewish Talmud, they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, in that Jewish commentary, they say some things about Jesus that are pretty degrading. But here's what they do say. Jesus was a man that lived in the first century and did what they call these sort of magic works. We would call them miracles. They say Jesus lived. He did. But it's not just the Jewish Talmud. Tacitus is a Roman historian, and he wrote to a man. And he said, Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified under the reign of Pontius Pilate. And then Pliny, the governor of Bithynia in 112 A.D. said these Christians gather together on the first day of the week and they sing hymns to this Christ as if he is God. And Suetonius, he was a popular Roman writer as well as a historian. He says that these Christian individuals were pushed out of Rome because of persecution, just like Luke says they were in Acts 18 and verse 2. And the last man named Gerd Lutman, he died last year in May of 2021. He was a part of something called the, G- the G- Jesus Seminar. These men picked apart the Bible and said many parts of it were fabricated. But here's what Gerd said. He's not a Christian. He was an atheist and a skeptic. He said that Jesus died under the reign of Pontius Pilate by crucifixion is an indisputable fact. I don't cite these men or these historians to say that they prove anything about the Bible's inspiration or about Jesus being divine. But to say that Jesus Christ never existed would be to be laughed out of any respectable conversation about history because he really did. But John and the rest of the New Testament emphasize more. Your New Testament emphasizes three primary things about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus became a man and Jesus never committed a sin as a human being. We have a high priest who was tempted in all points like we are, yet he did it without sin. Hebrews 415. He was reviled and persecuted. And when he was reviled, he didn't respond the same. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. First Peter two, twenty two and twenty three. The New Testament says Jesus lived as a human and he did it perfect. Sometimes we say the human life is. Oh, yes, it is, especially when you're used to being God. He lived perfectly. He never committed a transgression. His whole life was sinless. Now, what does that mean for you and me? It means Jesus is both real and Jesus is relatable. Jesus didn't come here to become a human and then go back to heaven and take off his humanity. The Bible says in becoming a human, he forever 
identifies with us. He's not ashamed to be called our brother. Hebrews 2.11. He's the one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5. But he's also relatable. When Jesus came to earth, he knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew abandonment and betrayal. He knows what it's like to stand at the grave of a loved one and say to himself and others, it's not supposed to be this way. John 11, 35 and 36. He knows what those things are like. He's real and he cares about you and he cares about me. John says Jesus was a human being. Sometimes we read the temptation of Jesus and people say, well, that was no big deal. We know Jesus wouldn't sin. Listen, if he couldn't sin, it wasn't temptation. Oh, he could have. The grandeur and the greatness of it is that he chose not to. He withstood it and he pushed back against it. His temptation, just like ours, was very real and he triumphed over it. The only person in the history of the world who could look people in the eye and say, I'm better than you, looked people in the eye and said, I know you can do better. John 80 told the woman, go and sin no more. He would say to other people, I want you to live right. I want you to come up to the divine standard. The show Undercover Boss has been running for 11 seasons. Maybe you've seen the show before these from their offices and work among the people. But the thing is, they do it sort of incognito and they want to see several things. They want to see what it's like to work for their company and also what the people that work for their company think about the company. It changes them. Jesus already had divine surveillance on the world. He didn't come to the world to see how things were going. He knows everything. But he came so that we might get to know him better and learn how we were really meant to live all, all along. You start reading John's gospel and you might get through those first five verses and say, Jesus is God. He's untouchable. And then John says, no, Jesus became a human so that he could be touched. Let this mind be in you, who was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, took on him the form of a servant and was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every name. Why? Because Jesus became a human being, but the perfect human being. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, you say, well, this is pretty easy. This is no no news to me. I know Jesus is God. I know Jesus has always existed. And I know Jesus became a human. But not everybody thinks this way. Not everybody knows this. When you think about answering life's biggest questions, not everybody is on the same page about Jesus. There was a study done by Barna in 2014, and here's what they found among people that they surveyed in the United States of America. Probably the most biblically literate country in the history of the world. Ninety two percent of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. That's pretty good. But thirty five percent of younger adults say that Jesus was probably just a religious or a spiritual leader. But here's the one that gets us. Fifty two percent say, oh, Jesus was a real person, but he committed sins just like you and me. He was a person of weakness and he made mistakes. He was a regular human being. John says in the rest of the New Testament, Jesus never committed one infraction against God. John 8, 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Nobody. He never made one mistake his entire life. Now, why does this matter? Because you and I know people who have quit Christianity because they say, well, I just can't be among those people. Christians have let me down. Those Christians are hypocrites. Listen, the truth of Christianity does not stand and fall on his practitioner's righteousness, but on the righteousness and sinlessness of Jesus Christ. 
That doesn't mean it doesn't matter how we behave or live as Christians, but it does mean we must never hold Jesus hostage based on the failings of his followers. The New Testament says Jesus was a human being, but he never made a mistake. He never committed a sin. He was perfect. He's the model and the mold. He's the ultimate standard of what God wants us to be. And so God could say to us, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. Matthew 17, 5. Who is Jesus? He's the perfect human being who never sinned. But John says more. John says the third thing about Jesus is he is the promised Messiah. When you read the Old Testament, everything is pointing toward this grand hero that is going to come and do for humanity what we can't do for ourselves. If you go and read Isaiah, especially Isaiah 42 and verse one, Isaiah talks about a servant of the Lord who has been anointed and he is God's special servant. and He's going to bring righteousness to the nations. This Messiah is going to come and do for Israel and for the rest of the world what no one in history could ever do. And that person, that promised Messiah that people have been waiting for is Jesus Christ. Notice John chapter one and verse 41. Andrew finds his brother Simon and he says, we found the Messiah, the one who is called Christ. And his name is Jesus. In John one and verse 45, Philip finds Nathaniel and listen to what he says. He says, we found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write. That is this Messiah. And then in John one forty nine, when Nathaniel encounters Jesus, he says, behold, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. That's who Jesus is. He is the promised Messiah of old. He's the prophet that Moses promised in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Moses says one day God's going to raise up a prophet like you among your brothers and everybody who hears him will live. But the ones who don't hear him will be punished. Jesus is that prophet. He's the king. That is supposed to sit on the throne of David. Second Samuel seven, twelve through 16. David's told one day from your very loins, from your family tree, I'm going to raise up one to sit on your throne and his dominion will be everlasting. It'll be forever. He is the son to whom all the nations must bow and kiss or else be crushed and perish. Psalm two and verse 12. He's the promised Messiah. When they came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi and people gave their various answers and then Peter said, no, you're the son of the living God. Jesus says flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. Peter was not saying you're Jesus and now your last name is Christ. When he says Christ, it means you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one of God. Christ is not his name. It's his position. It's a title to describe who Jesus is, the anointed Messiah of God. Now, what does that mean for people that live in 2022? It means that God always keeps his promises that you can trust God to come through. In your own life, you pray and you wait for things and you say, is God ever going to show up for me? And when Jesus shows up in the first century, all of the promises of God find their yes and in him. The Jews that waited for centuries, is he ever going to come? And then when Jesus started to teach like nobody had ever taught and do miracles that they had never seen anyone else do and to manipulate and master nature. And they said, well, this may be the son of man that Daniel spoke about in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. This just might be him. He might be the one that's been promised to come and rescue us from the line of Judah. Genesis 49 and verse 10. And he was. He is. Jesus is the promised Messiah. That not only Israel found their hopes in, but that we find our hopes in today. Who is Jesus? He's the promised Messiah. 
In 2018, there were 3,000 sexual assault cases filed against Uber. People had gotten into these cars or sometimes cars that they thought belonged to Uber drivers and they were assaulted. And so Uber said, we've got to do something about this. And Lyft said the same. They did research. They put out an article, part of which appeared in the New York Times. And they gave some what they called practical tips to arrive safely in your Uber or even before you get into your Uber. And here's one of the things they said. One of the lawyers they interviewed said, this is safety rule number one. If you take an Uber, when they show up, they said, make sure you check the license plate. Make sure it's the right car and don't get into the car. You open the door and say to the driver, who are you here for? Because if you just get in, you maybe you don't know who you're getting in with. Listen, people have gotten into spiritual Ubers with all types of people who have claimed, you know, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord told me this. God said this to me. He didn't tell you, but God told me, me and God are on speaking terms and I'm here to deliver. If you just follow me and we should search the Old Testament scriptures and the new. And when people come with a message about a Messiah outside of this, our question to them should be, who are you here for? Listen, anybody who claims to be a savior, who is not Jesus, the Christ, will in the end be responsible for saving all of the people that they've misled. And the truth is they can't even save themselves. Jesus says many false Christs will arise in my name saying I am Christ, but don't follow them. Matthew 24, 23 and 24. He is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. His biography and his credentials are the only one that checks all the boxes. And John says, when you look at Jesus, this is the one you should expect. Fourthly, John says Jesus is the remedy for sin. Now, John the Baptist, not John the Apostle that wrote the book of John, but John the Baptist was preaching before Jesus came. He's the forerunner who was going to pave the way for Jesus. And two times in John chapter one, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. John 129, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then if you look down in John one and verse thirty six on this occasion, several of John's disciples are there. And John says to them, behold, the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Throughout the Old Testament, there were sacrifices offered daily and yearly for the sins of Old Testament Israel. But those sacrifices were merely a band-aid on that which needed surgery. I heard a man describe it this way once. All the Old Testament sacrifices could only merely touch the interest of human debt, but they could never get to the principle. The Hebrew writer says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hebrews 10 and verse 4. The law having a shadow of those things which are to come and not the very image of those things could never by those continual sacrifices make those perfect who draw near Hebrews 10 and verse one. But Jesus sacrifice could. He is the remedy for human sin. We've got a lot of problems in our world. And a lot of people think they have the remedy. They believe that they have the answers. Some people say it's in politics. If you elect the right person, they'll change things for some people say it's in science. We're just not smart enough yet, but we're getting closer. Some people say it's in sports and entertainment. And as David Paul pray, if we just throw ourselves into these things, then we'll be happy. Some say it's in sociology. We just don't know how humans get along and work together. And after they've all had their turn, we still have our problems. Sometimes they're worse than they were to begin with. Jesus is the remedy for human sin. He's the only one who can fix us. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the only one that can solve our sin problem. He sits at the table with his disciples who had eaten the Passover countless times. And he says, this cup is my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that only happens in his blood. He is the answer for every human ill. 
He's the one that can solve our greatest problem. He's the remedy for human sin. He didn't commit any sin, but he came to die on behalf of our sins. He offered himself up for us, Isaiah 53. He didn't come to suffer for himself. He suffered for us. Sometimes we read the Bible and we may think to ourselves, well, the Jews didn't behave as they should. And so then God said, well, I guess I'll send Jesus. And the Jews rejected Jesus. And so Jesus was crucified. That's part of the story, but that's to misread it. The cross didn't catch Jesus off guard. No, in fact, Jesus was born to die. He knew it from the day he came out of the womb. No man takes my life from me. No, I have power to lay it down and I will take it up again. John 10 and verse 18. Jesus is on the cross. It's the worst thing that humans had ever done. But the best thing that God had ever done, it was according to his plan. He was the lamb slang from the foundation of the world. It was always God's plan for Jesus to die for you and for me. He's the remedy for human sin and the only way our sins can truly be forgiven to be outside of Jesus, to view Jesus as merely a moral teacher or a philosopher is to be outside of the forgiveness that only Jesus can provide for us. Here's the last one. Jesus is the only way to God. Who is Jesus? He is the only way to God. In John chapter one, if you look down at verse 43, he says to Philip, follow me. And then he says to Nathaniel in verse 50 and verse 51, after Nathaniel praises him and he says, do you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. You'll see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending on the son of man. But the only way Nathaniel or anybody else will enjoy that great vision, what Nathaniel and the apostles saw is Jesus ascended in Acts chapter one. And what we'll see, according to Paul, as we ascend with him in first Thessalonians chapter four is to follow Jesus. What Jesus says to Philip, he also says later to two sets of brothers. He says it to Andrew and to Peter, to James and to John in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Follow me. He's the only way to God. Here's where Jesus is probably this fifth and final point is where Jesus is probably most offensive to people. Most people want a Jesus that's neatly packaged. And in their minds, they hire You don't really believe Jesus is the I mean, the only way to God. There are people all over this world. They've never heard of this Jesus Christ. And they probably have some. Listen, all these religions are the same. They've got their version of a savior just like you. He may be in their own tribal religion or their own folk religion. But in the end, it's just a story about a man coming to save people. And every religion has their choice. There are many ways to God of which Jesus is one. But listen to Jesus in John 14 and verse six. I am the way, the truth and the life. And this last part is true for everybody in the world of accountable age. No man comes to the father but by me. That offends people. It shocks people. And if you've never been offended by it yet or challenged by it, you don't really understand it. All of the good people we've known in the world, all of the noble people that we've known outside of Jesus, there is lost as lost can be. Jesus says, I'm the only way for you to get back home. The only way to God. Who is Jesus? He's man's only hope. Jesus would say things like, except you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. And if you die in your sins where I'm going, you can't come. John 8 and verse 24. Jesus would challenge people to build their lives around his teaching. And he would say things like, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. He would push people to say the right things about him and to fail to say those things. I mean, one day when you stand before God and you need him to speak up for you, he'll remain as silent as you were in this life. He says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you. But if you deny me, I'll deny you. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. 
He says, unless you're immersed in water, baptized to have your sins forgiven. The cup of wrath that I drunk on Calvary will one day be yours and you will sip from it forever. You'll pay for your own sins. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that doesn't will be condemned. Now, either Jesus is God and he's the son of man or he's not. If the Bible's right and it is, he's the only way to God. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said, I am trying to keep people from saying the most foolish thing that men can say, that Jesus was a good moral teacher, a religious teacher of sorts. He said the man that claims to be a good moral and religious teacher and says the kind of things that Jesus said is either one of two things. He's either a lunatic on the level with a man that says he's a poached egg or he's the devil of hell. Lewis says, listen, in the end, you've got three choices of Jesus. Either he's a Lord, either he's a lunatic or either he's a liar. He says, but don't come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a good moral teacher because he hasn't left us those options and he didn't intend to. Jesus says, you must choose. And I'm your only way back to God. Maybe you've heard the parable of the blind man and the elephant before. I I heard this plenty of times before, but it was said to me recently in a discussion about religion. And the parable goes this way. There are these blind men that live in this foreign place and they've never heard of an elephant. And then one day an elephant is brought into their ranks. And they're trying to figure out what this new animal could be. And all of the blind men, they come and they all come from different vantage points. One man grabs the elephant's trunk and they're blind, remember. And he says, oh, yes, he's like a snake. Another blind man puts his hand on the leg of the elephant and he says, oh, no, you're totally mistaken. He's like a tree trunk of sorts. Another man comes up behind the elephant and grabs the tail and he says, oh, no, he's, he's like a rope. Another man, one of the blind men puts his hands on the side of the elephant. He, he says, you're all wrong. I figured it out. He's actually like a wall. And they're all mistaken. The person I was talking to told this parable. He said, you Christians, you see, you're just like those blind men. He says all religions are just like those people. You've got a piece of it and you think your piece is right. And so you just claim, well, he's like this, but you've only got a slice of it. And I said to him what I say to you. What if the men aren't blind? And what if the elephant can speak? And he says, I'm an elephant. And what if the men can see what's going on? Jesus came to speak on behalf of God and to open the eyes of the blind. He said to Thomas, Be not faithless, but believing. Put your hands here and see it is I myself. Be not doubtless, but believing. And Thomas responded the way everybody will on the day of judgment. My Lord and my God. John 20 and verse 28. With those men on the Emmaus road, their eyes were open and they saw him as he truly was and is. Luke 22, 31. No, there's no blind man in the elephant because Jesus has opened our eyes and we can see God for what he truly is as we read the revelation of his son. And embrace the reality of who Jesus is and who he came to be. Who is Jesus? One occasion they asked Jesus, who are you? John 8, 25, Jesus says, even him that I told you that I was from the very beginning. He's the most important person in the history of the world. And one day the question that Pilate posed to the Jews will be the only thing that will matter. It won't matter what you did for a living. It won't matter how much money you made, the kind of car you drove, the neighborhood you lived in, what school you went to or didn't go to. One question in that day is going to rise to the surface above all others. And I submit to you, it's above all others now. But sometimes we fail to see it for what it is. What will you do with Jesus of Nazareth, who is called the Christ? John says this is who he is, but it's up to us to follow him. And to the degree that we do, we'll be blessed 
Jesus says, whosoever will, he's the savior of all the world. He invites everybody. Whosoever will can come and whosoever won't will be condemned. He hasn't left us a third option. Either Jesus is a liar, either Jesus is a lunatic who was mistaken, or Jesus truly is the Lord of heaven. The New Testament says he checks the box of Lord. He's God. He's the perfect human being. He's the hope that the Old Testament promised would ultimately come. He's the remedy for human sin, and he is our only way back to God. Maybe this morning you need to submit to his lordship and follow him. Jesus has already told us what we need to do. We talked about it in this lesson. Turn from sin based on our faith and confidence in him. Make a verbal confession of what our hearts believe, that he is the Christ of God, and allow our bodies to be immersed in water. In that moment, all of our sins are being forgiven. And we're also being immersed into a relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We rise to walk in newness of life. And the sonship that is his becomes ours. Maybe you need to respond to the invitation this morning because you know the first four points you believe. But the last one, you haven't been following him like you should. If you need to respond, if you need to straighten things, one day judge every one of us. If we can help you, we stand and as we sing.